0: Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm so excited to be getting to Hebrews chapter 11. I tell you what, Hebrews is a great book. I've learned a lot personally. I've been blessed by it as we've gone through, but those first ten chapters have got a lot of weight to them. There's a lot of rebuke there. There's a lot of challenge there. And... uh, Chapter 11, I think, is, is maybe one of the most interesting places in Scripture. Some pastors and commentators call Hebrews 11 the hall of faith because it lists these people that would be called heroes of the faith, these these giants of faith in God. They're really not. They're people. They're ordinary people. They are exactly like you and me. They're human beings. Uh, who who were born, who lived, who died, who faced good times and bad times, who had trials and struggles of their own. There are quite a few mentioned. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, Moses himself, the people of Israel, Rahab, and several more mentioned in passing, uh, such as Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And then at the end of the chapter, He just casts the net wide, and he says and not to mention all of these others. So what I want to begin with this morning as we we begin to understand what Hebrews is, we're going to talk about these two rails of faith, and I will mention that. I'll explain that as, as we go, but I also want to explain this. While there's a little bit of direct teaching in Hebrews 11, we're going to cover that this morning, the majority of the chapter is a series of case studies on your life. They're case studies on your life and what you face and what you deal with and what these real people dealt with and how they trusted God in the midst of that. These are not heroes of the faith. These are just the examples of faith given to us. They're normal people like you and I. Uh, There are a lot of differences between these people men and and women both are are mentioned some are given huge amounts of scripture some are mentioned just very very briefly enoch this morning is is only mentioned a couple places very briefly in in scripture but they they had this one thing in common at least and that is they believe their creator that's that's it really that's the common thing and rather than looking at it and saying well we we've got we, we've got normal people like you and me, and then we've got the climbers who climb to the top of Mount Everest, the giants. We need to understand that, that we, like us, had, for instance, 24 hours in their day. We all have the same amount of time. But between, between right now and 8.26 tomorrow morning, there are 24 hours. What I do with that time, what you do with that time is going to be different. But we all have the same time. Every person who believes in God, especially as a Christian, the Bible says, has the same faith. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.1 1. 1, that we as Christians have received the same faith that the apostles had. There's no difference. What do you do with it? How do you exercise it? That's the difference. So let's, let's dive into Hebrews 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. The writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Father, as we come now to this chapter, that you have sealed in Scripture for us, for our benefit and for our blessing and for our growth, we ask that you would encourage us. We ask that you would teach us this morning and build our faith in Christ and build us as your people. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. These these verses begin with kind of a brief teaching with a couple of examples. And and the frame of that teaching is to look at the reality of faith, the effect of faith, and the exclusivity of faith. What's the reality of faith? Verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is real. Faith exists. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not making up. Things for God to do, we hear people do that today. When, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes when you hear somebody say, I'm believing God for, and fill in the blank. If what they're believing God for is not a promise of scripture, they're making up something for God to do. See I can say I'm believing God for saving me because of his grace as I trust in him and I can believe God for that. If I say I'm believing God to lose 20 pounds, there's no guarantee that he's going to help me. I can say Lord I need your help. I call on you for help. But to but to presume that he will because I want him to is presumption. It's not faith. See, faith isn't making up something for God to do. Faith is taking who God is and what he has promised in his word and saying, I believe that. I won't be shaken from that. Faith trusts what scripture reveals about God. He cannot lie. Numbers 23.19 says, Nothing can prevent him from doing what he pleases. Psalm 115.3 says, God doesn't just tell the truth. He is truth. John fourteen six says, The purposes of God have been in motion since creation, and nothing will prevent him from having his way. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says. So with all of that, and that's just giving you the references and the summaries, Who is this God person that we should trust him? He's the creator who is truth itself. He cannot lie. Nothing can prevent him from having his way. Nothing will ever prevent him from prevailing on the earth. And so when he says, I am saving you by my grace through your faith, you can trust in that. When he says to you, my eye is on you and I will not let you fall, you can trust in that. There's this precious moment, sad moment, heart-rending moment in the, in the, the, the time of the arrest of Jesus in, in the garden when Peter has said, I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, really? You're going to deny me three times. One of the Gospels, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Peter's faith never failed. How do I know Peter's faith never failed? Because Jesus prayed it wouldn't fail. Jesus gets what he asks for. Jesus prayed his faith wouldn't fail. What failed with Peter? His courage. Has your courage ever failed? Yeah. Has your faith in God ever failed? Not if you know him. And it's not because of you. It's not because you're great. It's because as he prayed for Peter, I believe he prays for all of us. I believe that's his work now as our high priest interceding for us keeping us in him. So the reality of faith, that foundation of faith, is that there is faith. It's not an emotion. It's real. It's not a feeling we have. It's trusting what God has revealed about himself. What's the the effect of faith? What's the effect of faith? Well, we see it in verse 2. For by it, by faith, the men of God, the men of old, Gained approval. Uh, approval here is a reference to the only approval that matters, and that's God's approval. It's God's commendation. It is God's testimony that those who trust Him are favored by Him. And, and we're going to see that in the examples this morning. It's a really a statement of everybody who trusts Him, but it's displayed in, in Abel and Enoch. Now, He gives us this really interesting statement in verse 3. He says, Uh, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. In other words, by faith we believe that God created all things. And he created all things from his word from speaking. He spoke it into existence. It doesn't say that God spoke by faith. God doesn't need faith. He has the power. It says that as a first principle of faith, you understand who God is. You understand that God is creator. You understand that God's character is good. That God's character is holy that's what you understand about god through faith there are a lot of people who read genesis one and two and they can read it as the text they can they can read it as words on a page but then they dismiss it as mythology they dismiss it as as a fable or as an allegory it takes faith in the character and the power of god to read genesis one and two as history History that's recorded by the only one who is there at the time, who is God. When, when someone dismisses Genesis 1 and 2, by the way, as history and just calls it a fable or a fairy tale or mythology, they're, they're really demolishing what I believe is the foundation of Scripture. If the Bible begins by telling us that God created everything from nothing in six 24-hour days, but that's not true, that's just mythology, why would I believe Jesus rose from the dead? Why would I believe that I'm actually a sinner? Why would I believe Jesus is who he says he is? If the Bible begins with, well, yeah, but not really, what good is it? Faith is what says God created all of this. God created all of this. And it's the faith that was held by Abel and by Enoch. Think about this. Abel is Adam and Eve's second son. How much scripture did Abel have? Zero. Nothing. Abel didn't have what God gave Noah. Abel didn't have what God gave Abraham or Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph. Abel had, there's God, he created us, mom and dad sinned against him, we've been ejected. That's what Abel had. But Abel believed that God. Abel believed his God. Let's talk about these two examples that we have with Abel and with Enoch, and let's talk about these two rails of faith that we're going to see carry through this chapter. The two rails of faith are the rail of suffering and the rail of blessing. The rail of suffering is depicted mainly with the story of Abel. Verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, He still speaks. Let me turn to Genesis chapter 4 and read these verses. There's only 11 verses here that have to do with Abel. Now the man, Adam, had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain and said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time That Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Why was Abel accepted and Cain rejected? Hebrews 11 tells us it's because Abel gave his offering in faith. I've heard people say, well, it was because Abel offered a blood offering and Cain just brought an offering of produce. But it doesn't say that that was the problem. And and offerings of produce were called for under the law. So God doesn't say you can never bring me something that doesn't have blood with it. What Hebrews 11 says is Abel came in faith. Abel came saying, there is a God. He's the one who made us. He made mom and dad. He was the one who evicted them from the garden, but he continues to care for us. And Lord, I come trusting you. And here's my offering. And Cain came for whatever reason, but it wasn't out of faith. It couldn't have been out of much religious duty because there just wasn't much religion at the time. So we don't know really why Cain came. And then we see the rail of suffering. Abel's faithful. Abel believes. Abel trusts God. He comes in that faith. And he suffers as a result. Cain kills him because God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's offering. I don't know what Cain thought he could get from there. I don't know how he thought that that could work for him. God even comes to Cain and says, Watch out. Watch out. What's going on inside you right now Is a decision point. What's going on inside of you right now is a dangerous thing. Cain told Abel his brother. And then he kills him in the field. The word for field, by the way, there is not the word pasture. It's not the word wild land like Abel would have taken his sheep out to. It means cultivated land. Abel went to see his brother where his brother works. And Cain committed one of the worst kinds of betrayal there is. A brother killing a brother. Faithful, trusting, righteous people can and do suffer. Suffering doesn't mean you don't trust God. Suffering might mean that you've trusted God and that's why you're suffering. Suffering. Abel is a a model of faith to us. He's one of these examples because he took God seriously. He knew so little. He knew so little. Those of you who are holding a Bible right now, just hold that in your hands for a moment and think about having none of it and trusting God in the midst of all circumstances. And, And he's given you this. To say, here's who I am. Here's what I've promised to do. Here's what I intend. Here's what I purpose. Here's the evidence and the proof of my faithfulness over centuries and centuries and centuries. You can trust me with your life. And Abel had none of it. He trusted the Lord. It's interesting to me, too, that his faith and his obedience was unaffected by his brother's attitude and rebellion. I, I, we're not told... I'm speculating here. I just like to be open about that. But I don't think Cain had ever really believed God. I don't think that there was anything in Cain that was actually ever genuine toward God. And I think Abel had a history and a pattern of that. I don't think we see this sudden mo- motion for both of them that happens in this time. I think we're seeing the culmination of their lives and the way that they'd lived. Abel had been faithful. Cain had been unfaithful the whole time. the The second rail that we have is given in the story of Enoch, and it's the rail of blessing. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. In Genesis chapter 5, there's just four verses. From verse 21 to 24, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah, Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Then there's a statement made in the the book of Jude verses 14 and 15. It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch served as a prophet in his time warning the people, as the later prophets did, of, of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. He warned the people, You're you're increasing in your wickedness, you're increasing in your violence, and you're not going to get away with it. God is just and you need to pay attention. Even in Enoch's time, the world was well on its way to the condemnation that's seen in Genesis uh, chapter 6, verse 5 and verses 11 and 12, that the earth was violent, it was filled with violence, that the thoughts and intentions of man's heart was evil constantly. It was moving rapidly that way. But Enoch walked with God. That walk in the Bible is almost always a a metaphor for how you live your life, for the very form and substance of your life. The the very form and substance and character of Enoch's life was God. God was at the center for him. He loved the Lord. Now, he was married. He had a son. He might have had other sons too. We don't know. This is a brief genealogy. He lived. He had to work. He's obviously involving himself in the world. He's obviously involving himself in his life. But at the core of everything, at the center of everything, is Yahweh, is God. It's like God is magnetic north for everything that Enoch does. Wherever Enoch goes, whatever he does, he always has a clear direction to who his God is. And he has no more scripture than Abel had. He simply walks with God. There are ten generations between Adam and Noah. Ian, uh, Enoch is number seven. If you don't count Enoch, the average lifespan is over 900 years. Enoch lived 365 years. It would be the same today as, uh, as uh, this year, the average lifespan in the United States, men and women combined, is 80 years old, and Enoch is taken at the age of 32 you know what we call that? We call that a tragedy. We call that a heart-rending loss. But God took him because he walked with God. And he didn't see death. He didn't see death. And it strikes me that maybe that's death in general. God says, you know, Enoch is now in his strength. He's in the, the peak of, of his manhood. And before he gets old, before he decays, before he faces the end of all things, I'm just going to take him. But given the violence of his time, I think it's possible that God says, Enoch's testimony of me is so disturbing to the violence of his world, they're going to kill him. And I'm going to rescue him before that can happen. We're not told, but I think that that's a possibility. Enoch is a matter of faith is a model of faith. He walked with God at a time when nobody was walking with God. He stood alone. He stood alone. Enoch's son is Methuselah. Methuselah dies the same year as the flood. Which either means that by the grace of God he simply died of old age before the flood took place. Or it means that Enoch's own son was so wicked he died in the flood. You imagine Noah looking at his great, great grandfather and saying no you can't come because you're unholy Enoch is a model of faith because he didn't modify his message he didn't soften his message to pacify the the violent and wicked people of his time he spoke for God first remember he had that, that magnetic north that took him to who God is and said that's my foundation that's my guideline So we have faith's existence, we have faith's effect, and we have faith's exclusivity in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. It cannot be done. Now, whatever the word impossible means, it can't mean possible but difficult. It can't mean possible, but not likely. It can't mean possible if we had the, the, the ability. Whatever the word impossible means, it can't mean possible. And I don't think that the sense here is we just don't have the ability. I think the sense is God won't be pleased by anything but faith. If you could live a perfect life, you would not please him. That's what it's saying. If you could be as sorry for your sins as you could ever be, it would not please Him. If you could give your life to be burned, if you could speak with the tongues of men and angels, if you could give away all of your possessions to feed the poor and give your very body to be burned, it would not please Him. Only faith can please God. At the risk of oversimplifying this, Faith is like a key that fits a lock. I I have two keys on my key ring that look identical, but only one of them opens that door. You can come in and say, I've got the key. The key is tithing. The the key is going to church. The key is praying with my children every night. The key is being a good person. The, The key is not swearing anymore, but they don't fit the lock. Faith in God fits the lock. Not faith in a general sense, not not faith in a generic sense, not faith in faith, but faith in the person of God. It's this intimate relationship that says, Lord, you are my Father, you're my God, I love you, I trust you. I don't know why this is happening right now. I can't begin to explain it. And and I feel the very foundations of my life are being shaken, but I trust you, and I will not stop trusting you. And that pleases Him. That's why this is open to all of us. That's why this idea of faith is like 24 hours a day. Every single one of you in this room today can fully please God. It's within your power. And you can fully please God in the next 10 seconds by trusting him alone. By trusting him alone. We could have a contest. We could take everybody outside and line everybody up at the curb and see who could jump to the sidewalk on the other side. Nobody would make it. Some would get farther than others, but nobody would make it. But faith is the key that opens the door. Faith, faith takes us straight across, and it doesn't matter who you are. Some of these little kids, they'd dart across there, they, they'd, they'd be over there before you could blink. Some of the older folks would take a minute or two to get across the street. Everybody gets to the same place. That's what faith does. In your wildest dreams, in the the, the fantasies of your heart and mind, have you ever thought, I wonder what it would be like to be a hero of the faith? You can be. You trust in God. You can be. Faith exclusivity means that only God, only faith can please God. Let's, let's bring this home. Think about what we've seen. Faith is real. It truly exists. It's not an emotion or a feeling. It's a persuasion, a conviction in our minds that Scripture is true, that God exists, that what the Bible says about Him is true, and that He welcomes, him, uh, welcomes us when we come to Him believing. Faith is a powerful, certain conviction about who God is, what he's promised. We've seen that the effect of faith is to bring about God's approval. Some want the effect of faith to be success or healing or financial freedom. God promises none of those things in this world. And that's actually good news because failure and, and sickness and poverty are not our problem. Sin is our problem. The judgment of God is our problem. When you come to the Lord today, when you trust him alone and not your own works or intentions or deeds, you have his favor. And, and let me say this, when God gives his favor, he gives all of it. You, you either have the fullness of the favor of God or you have none of the favor of God. He doesn't look at one of his children and say, yeah, I love him, but I don't like him. God doesn't look at one of his children and say, yeah, no, you can stay over there. If you have his favor, you have all of his favor. Nobody has more. Nobody has more. And the favor that you have is the favor he shows Jesus. So it's not just that you have the same amount that everybody has, it's you, you have as much favor as God can show a human being. Today, by faith. Faith, and faith enlightens our minds to the existence and the power of God. It grasps the truth that in, in spite of the turmoil and the chaos and the confusion of our world, God will prevail. He created all things. says in Scripture that He saw the end from the beginning. And He saw the end in detail, perfectly fulfilled, according to His glory and according to His purposes. Faith says, yes, I believe that. And I'm trusting that the Lord is bringing all of those things out now. Faith is the sole exclusive means by which we can please God. It's not that other ways of uh, pleasing God exist, but we can't do them. There is no other way. Only faith will do that. He's leveled the playing field. You have the same opportunity to please God today as a Christian that Peter did, that Paul did, that David did, that Abel did, that Enoch did. You can do that today. I can't live a perfect life. I know that. God knows that. You can trust him today. I can't give what other people give. Yeah, we know that. You can trust him today. You can trust him today. In the examples of of Abel and Enoch, we see that faith is going to run along these two rails of of blessing and suffering. And and by the way, they're, they're not one or the other. Abel suffered, right? We saw that. He was betrayed and murdered by his brother. But don't you know that Abel was also blessed? He was favored by God. And Enoch is blessed. He was taken before he could see death. By the way, I don't know if that still means that Enoch is mortally alive somewhere. Or if his being taken is kind of like the rapture, where as he was taken, he was transformed. Don't know. Couldn't explain it. You can ask, but I'm going to tell you what I just said. I don't know. Enoch was blessed, but Enoch suffered this heartache and provocation at the wickedness and the violence of his time. Abel is on that rail of suffering, but Abel was, was also blessed. Enoch is on that rail of blessing, but Enoch had suffered too. We're going to see that with each one of these people, with Abraham, with Moses, with Sarah. We're going to see blessing, and we're going to see suffering in their lives. See, believing in God doesn't mean that you're only blessed or that you only suffer. Faith is the underlying rail bed that those rails run on. So let me, let me just say this. Brothers and sisters, you can't earn the smallest measure of God's favor by what you do. By what you give, by keeping rules, by living a religious life. You can't earn the smallest token. But you can have the full ocean of the favor of God this moment. This moment. I don't say that about very many things. But you can have the full ocean of the favor of God this moment by trusting Him alone. Rest in His nature and character and goodness. Believe it. Cast yourself upon it. Cast your whole weight upon Him. Father, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Your graciousness to us and Your kindness to us. We thank You that these things are accomplished by faith in You. Not as we work for certain ends or for certain goals or purposes, but as we trust you. And we ask that you would grant us to understand as Abel and as Enoch understood who you are. We're not going to ask for more faith because you've given us the faith that we need. We are going to ask that you, you help us peel faith away from the other things we've attached it to. Our good works and our good intentions and our self-reliance. We just fight constantly this feeling like we should, we, we should be doing more than just trusting you. But you've called us to just trust in you. And then out of that work in, your, in our lives that you do, you transform us. We don't come to you transformed to please you. We come to you trusting you, and then you, you bring the change into our lives. So teach us to trust you more this morning, Lord, to exercise our faith in a better way. And we thank you in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen.